You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Hey, Tom. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. This is Susan Simmons, one of your co-hosts, along with, who are you today? Uh, Tom Holland. How, 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 how? What? <laughs> how long have you had that last time? <laughs> Here we go. It's going to be one of those it's episodes. Be. Do you I want... edit that or no, do I leave oh, no, it no, in? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Just leave it no, in that's there. Not... Um, that's how everybody else says my name. How, 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 how do you say your name? <laughs> <laughs> and it's only two o'clock in the afternoon. That's right. And what? I haven't even started drinking. Are you sure? Mm. I'm positive. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> that's right. It is on the East Coast. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, How's everybody doing? Good. Good, Joel. We're glad you're here because we screw it up when you're not here. And not in Bogota. <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to help you out down there. That, uh, the cartel could have you. Can't do anything about it. So sorry. You know? Are you trying to retire already? No, I. there was a. A wedding invite to Bogota, oh. but Susan With, said I wasn't allowed to go. So friend, here I am. His, his friend uh. invited him. Yeah. And I said, no, sorry. Uh, we're going to revoke your passport. Yeah, you might not come back from Bogota. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's really not a place you need to go visit. You're too young. <laughs> and then you'll be too old to go. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I have I have new goals on my list of things. Yeah, now, hanging out with you, I'll get on that same list that you're trying to. <laughs> telling you, I've had people telling me exactly what I need to do to get on that list. And after Sonia was here, absolutely, I, that is my new goal. Y'all are gonna get phone calls, and I'm gonna go. Yeah, here's where I am. Now all the listeners are wondering what list is this? Yeah, that well, you got to go back and listen to Sonia's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Sonia Labosco, you'll know right off what list it is I want to get oh, on. Yeah. I think I'm going to do a lot of day trips to places with no luggage. <laughs> fly in on a red eye to D.C. There you go. Just have breakfast, turn around and fly back to Phoenix. Don't you think that would do it? Uh, probably. They're probably some other or places. Or just randomly show up at an airport yeah. with luggage full of candy, but then just drop it off. At the terminal and then just walk away. See, if my child had told me he was going to be in Phoenix yesterday for an hour layover, which is in hot water for our audience, I'm just telling you now, I could have gone, taken some luggage, That's right. put it on the conveyor belt, and just walked out the door. Candy's a good idea. I could have done that. Maybe put something. What could go wrong? That's right. <laughs> put one of the, the, the things that, that when you open it, it shoots out confetti. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, so They'll stay tuned. They'll come look for you for that one. <laughs> stay tuned. Have fingerprints all over it. Yep. Stay tuned. This could get really interesting. Oh, man. And I am officially finished now with radiation. Yes. Done. And I told him, don't tell me I got to go back because I ain't going. <laughs> I told the text. I said, I love to run into the grocery stores or yeah. someplace, but I ain't I'm coming back here. here. Yeah. Not coming back. Done. You get one shot. That's all you get. And then I'm finished. So. They better have done what they needed to do. <laughs> so we're moving on. Hallelujah. Got some cool stuff planned. We're running a stress coach certification, and that's why we have our guest in studio that's this right. time, not 
not on Zoom. He ain't safe on Zoom like he was before, where he could have gone, oh, static, my internet's locking up. We have the door locked. He can't get out. He has no transportation. He flew in just a little while ago from Chicago. We have our newest board member, too. That's right. And under the shield, Ryan Clancy is in the house. That deserves applause. Joel. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Happy to be here. Well, we're glad you're here because, you know, even at my age, I want to be like you because you, you really you really have given Chicago's finest. <laughs> and I'm talking about the former mayor and probably the chief and some other people upper command, not the worker bees that we have nothing but respect for. Boy, you really, you really gave them a fit. Absolutely. And I'm glad she's out of office, but now, <laughs> now we're working with somebody who might be a little rougher, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I'm not sure he's any smarter than she was. No. I said on the last podcast it couldn't get worse than her, but... See? Yeah, never they surprise me every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've learned don't challenge stupid people because yeah. they'll show you a whole new side. And that is true. So we are really excited about having you here, and you're going to be one of our stress coaches now. Yes. Uh, after this week of training, if if he survives it, or he, I don't know, he may. We probably ought to put somebody watching at the airport <laughs> to see if he leaves halfway through. <laughs> he picks up an Uber to That's the airport right. on Tuesday. I'm out of here. <laughs> These people are nuts. <laughs> uh, but we're going to let you tell your story because I think that is something that is really important that people hear start to finish exactly where how you even got involved with us and you've got a real passion for this and it's something that has to happen yeah absolutely so i guess i'll start from the beginning um, wait a minute let me say this first uh bless his heart <laughs> he had to settle and go to ohio state and i won't say this <laughs> but he had to settle and go to ohio state but that's okay i just moved out of my apartment there yesterday <laughs> see so. smart move <laughs> i'll be back in august though <laughs> well i don't know i think we need to get you to alabama but anyway um so go ahead tell us your story um yeah so i'll start from the beginning i grew up uh, in a law enforcement family uh, my dad is a lieutenant for the chicago police department uh, my mom is a 911 dispatcher um wow <laughs> yeah five five generations of law enforcement before my dad so um that's and that's pretty you know that yeah. that's what i think of when i think of chicago and, right. and nypd yep it's the generational yep. stuff and it really still is kind of that way where everybody else is threatening their children <laughs> within an inch of their lives yeah, yeah. and um and then the latest was my sister um patricia swank who took her own life on July 2nd of 2022, so about 11 months ago, wow. coming up on one year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that really uh, hit me like a truck. Um, it was – I was up in Michigan when I found out, actually, and uh, driving home that night or that morning, I found out about 7 in the morning. Um, I I barely even remember that drive. It was just a whole lot of nothing. You I'm know, sure. Blankness. Um and, you know, one of the things we want to do, we want to make sure we're honoring her. Yeah, because, absolutely. Because, you know, I have absolutely zero problem saying her suicide was a line of duty death. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the majority of them are. I, I can't too. say it for all, but we certainly know enough about this situation that she's as much a line of duty yep. death as Chris Farrar, 
that this podcast studio is named after who was murdered. Yeah. yeah. And it's time for departments and agencies to start realizing this. Yeah. And I think they do need to realize that um, because no matter how they died, they, they died. One side died from the effects of the job and the other side died physically on the job. And either way, it doesn't change the service that they gave. It doesn't Absolutely. change what they did every day. Um, it was one second in her life of how long was she in law enforcement? Uh, almost seven years. So. See? That's that's a lot of seconds. Yes. Yeah. In a life working in the worst neighborhood in Chicago. So as a single mom too. Yeah. Yeah. Single mom, uh, five year old little boy, six now actually, but he was five when she passed. Um, yeah. So uh, I just remember pulling up um, outside her house. I couldn't even pull up outside her house because there was about two blocks of just police cars and everything. And uh, yeah, that whole day it just. It felt like like just a part of your heart was taken away that you, you'll never get back. Um, sure. And, what were the attitudes of the officers that were there? Oh, man, everyone was just a wreck. Uh, shocked. Lots of hugging, lots of crying, lots of, yeah, a lot of shock. Because a lot of the police officers who were there also knew our family, mm -hmm. whether it was my dad or her. Um, and, yeah, I just, like, that whole day just gives me the chills. I just. Sure thinking about it um it just feels like that day i realized like the world as i know it now is going to be different moving forward Absolutely. Um, because she really was my best friend she was someone who i could go to with anything and uh i feel like that's a huge part of why she became a police officer because she wasn't just that person for me she was that person for everybody mm -hmm. always there to help you out and um how much age difference between you two between us seven years okay. so yeah she was sort of a role model slash fun older sister growing up. A little bit of both. <laughs> Got the best of both worlds with her. But uh, You didn't get any trouble with her at all, did you? <laughs> if I got in trouble, I just blame it on her. Right? <laughs> yeah. There we go. I had a scapegoat. Sure, sure. Um, Anybody there ever or at any point in this 11 months ever say they saw something coming with her? The crazy part is most people didn't. Um it was a shock to everyone, but then it was almost like after it happened, then looking back at it, it's like, oh, wow, she did have a lot on her plate. She was going through a lot, but it's it's easier to see and say and speak up about once they're already gone, you know? Right. Sure. Um, and that's just a huge reminder to check up on people who, who are struggling or who you might not even know that they're struggling, but just mm -hmm. check up on the people you love because you never know when that day is going to come and when it's going to be their last and you're going to wish you had that conversation. Mm -hmm. You're going to wish you reached out to them and, sure. and maybe, maybe they are doing well and it's better to ask than, <laughs> right. you know, and that's just a bonus. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and one of the things you'll hear me say a million times this week in training is in this industry, can't talk about others, but at least in the first responder world, um, this is not about mental illness. Your sister was not mentally ill. Everybody in law enforcement's crazy. Now, yeah. and that includes Dom more so than most. Uh, but it, the, crazy to do the job they do. It's it's a calling, and mentally ill are totally opposite things. And when people dismiss this stuff, it drives me crazy for somebody to say, "Oh, they took the coward's way out." I thought, "You ever put a gun in your mouth?" Yeah, right. This is not a coward's way yeah. out. This is, or however they choose to do it. Jump, you know, Chris Farrar's first way he wanted to do it was to jump off an overpass in front of an 18-wheeler. That's pretty gutsy, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and didn't do it because he worried about the 18-wheeler driver. That's not a mentally ill person. 
these are good people that first we don't provide the right training up front in academies and in in-service. And these are good people that we've put in horrible situations mm-hmm. without resources, enough resources. Well, to, resources that work. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, and we don't mean more licensed <laughs> right, yeah. people. We mean more types yes. of resources. Because, it, you know, everybody's not going to go yeah. to a licensed mental health person. They're not. No. And then some Especially will go. Especially police officers. Yeah. And then some will go and find out that was a mistake. Or, and, or you call and you're on a two-month waiting list. Yes, that too. And so this is about a good person who was hurting and really, it was about ending pain. It wasn't about permanent. Right. But they're in such a place. And and with your sister, we've talked about this. I think she was just completely exhausted given the work schedules Absolutely. and the things that were going on. And that's what we see with all of them. So did she always want to be a cop? Yeah, ever since she was young. Um, she always talked about it. All her favorite shows were <laughs> police shows, FBI shows. Uh, she always watched the show Chicago PD. Uh-huh. She always, the main character is Lindsay. She said she always wanted to be like Lindsay. Just, And my mom would always try to talk her out of being a Chicago <laughs> cop, you know. Yeah. She didn't want her working in this violent city of ours. And uh, she um, said, you know, why don't you go be a, a police officer in the suburbs or something like that? And she's like, you don't get it, Mom. I'm going to be a Chicago police officer. That was very important to her. Yeah. The biggest challenge. Um, that That's all she ever wanted. Sure. And so the days after her death, um, I just remember so much love and support around us. Mm-hmm. Um, people stopping by constantly. And that was great. Um, but it doesn't really hit you till those weeks after when, when time goes by and then. Sure. You know, no one's really around anymore. Right. Sure. And that's how I felt with the departments and leadership and things like that, too. Like, these things happen and everyone comes together and you see all these police officers at her funeral and everything like that. But then nothing changes. It just kind of mm-hmm. time goes on. And that's one thing that I've been trying to push is um, being proactive and preventing the suicide before it happens yes. rather than just reacting to it and responding to it. And, uh, and I not think that's intervention. Important. Prevention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Stopping it before it happens. Not Don't even be- let them get to that point. Yeah. Because people have all these conversations when something like this does happen and they have all these ideas, but nothing ever happens until the next one. And I, I was looking at the stats um, a few weeks back, and I think since 2018 in Chicago, between retired and active duty police officers, over 30 have taken their own life. <laughs> and that's in the last five years. And and honestly, and there are probably some people don't know about. Right. Yeah. There are probably some mm-hmm. that that, especially retirees. Yeah. That nobody even you know move away, wind up in another state someplace. Um, I'd be curious to look at the ones to have. How about line of duty deaths? Have y'all? I, I'm sure there have been as violent as things are in Chicago, but it would be interesting to even see in the line of duty deaths where there single car accidents, where there are people without vest going in high risk, no backup, because that's what we're hearing are the ones planning their line of duty deaths so that benefits and everything are paid. But you talk about people coming around and coming together, but the chief never and the mayor never did, did they? No, the mayor and the superintendent um, never never came around or said anything. And uh, I haven't really heard them say anything about any suicides. Um, Not at the funeral either? They weren't there? No, they were not at the funeral either. What the 
a lot of a lot of officers were there. Um, but the superintendent, no, not, not the person not, at the top. Not the top, yeah, not the not the top. And, and then what's even more crazy is your dad is a lieutenant with that the same department, and mom's exactly. a dispatcher, right? And you got two two valued employees there, and their daughter, you know, has just died, and they don't have the decency to to even come or say anything. Do they you know, go to just, line of duty deaths? What they yes. deem line of duty, they are there. They, they usually speak at them too. I saw the superintendent speak at. Um, I was at a recent uh, line of duty death funeral about four months back, and uh, the superintendent actually spoke at the funeral. But that again is just showing the uh, the difference between the two. Right. How did you not walk up and pop them in the face? <laughs> <laughs> and I think we know you're capable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> well, that goes into kind of why I started speaking out is because of all this, all this built up anger, all this realizing, okay, I'm not the only one who's had to deal with it. There's so many other families who have to deal with this. And uh, right around my sister's death, there was actually two other suicides right within the next two weeks. So it was kind of all three within two weeks. And uh, well, there were some prior just prior coming back yes. to back, weren't they? Yeah, I believe just in the year 2022, I think between retired and active, there was eight total. Yeah. That's what yeah. That's, and that was just between like January and July, because yeah, when right. your sister one of the last of the eight, yeah. and then there were yeah. others. Um, did they allow the funeral to be somewhat not exactly line of duty, but I know in other agencies they have said you can't put the badge number yeah. on the cars, you can't go in uniform, you can't have honor guards. Did they have any of that yeah, stuff no. there? Well, and they um they made sure that she was sent off as if it was a line of duty death. At least the officers that we know and Good. who loved and respected her. I mean, there were so many officers who came to the funeral, and Good. they were all in uniform. Um, Actually, uh, an officer I know pretty well, Sergeant Nathaniel Miles, was uh, very close with my sister, and uh, he put together um, like the honor guard Good. and yeah, sent her off the right way. So Good. that definitely meant a lot to us. Um, but none of that was organized within the department or anything. That was all just on their own, and that just shows you know the department's not really having your back when it comes down to it. These agencies that do that, and you just want to walk up and go, do you think you're hurting the <laughs> officer? Because honestly, what you're doing is you're just adding compounding to the family right. here this who's made sacrifices and again two still working right in the department wow way to give the family the finger there superintendent and what's yeah. that person's name we need to make sure we put that out oh <laughs> uh, well he's actually the the former superintendent's actually gone now um they have an interim right now but did that one retire or was that one removed or? uh he resigned but it was kind of a Oh. Forced removal. Oh, we need to do some. We <laughs> need some research on that one. I don't know why he was forced to resign. Yeah, we'll we'll do some checking. Joel, get on that, would you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, the lovely mayor that you had at the time is also yeah. gone. Don't we hate that? Because she was really good on TikTok. <laughs> that was pure sarcasm on my part. Yeah. She wasn't even good for that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just appalled that these people could not even have the decency to show up right. for yeah. the family. And I still, made, so seeing all this, you know, seeing leadership not stepping up, doing nothing about it, um, I wanted to make sure at her funeral that I, I spoke about it. And so I remember I went to my mom in the backyard and I said, hey, like, do you have any plans for the eulogy yet? Because I, I would like to be the one to do it. And she just started crying. She's like, I'm so happy you even asked. Like, I know your sister would want you to do that. 
And uh, I was like, yeah, but I'm not only going to talk about <laughs> Patsy. <laughs> Buckle up, baby. Yeah, I, I was like, there's things I want to talk about and address. There's, I want to talk about mental health. I want to talk about, you know, what's going on in this city, um, the treatment of police officers and things like that. Because I said, I've been to so many funerals and I've noticed a lot of times with suicides that sometimes they don't even, the family doesn't even want people to know that it was a suicide. Right. It's very swept under the rug. And I was like, you know, we need to, we need to help people who are struggling. We need to help right. people who may be facing something like this to prevent the next, you know, person from taking their life. I want to talk about it. Mental health isn't something that we can just, you know, mm -hmm. sweep under the rug. And that's the whole stigma, you know, it's, yeah, it's not working. Even, mm -hmm. even when they are taking their own lives, we're still not even acknowledging that. Sure. And, uh, I wanted that to be known. So when I was putting together the eulogy, I actually wrote the whole thing in one sitting the, the night before pretty late, but I just wanted to really just write every single thing that's on my mind and speak out about it. And, uh, you did an I awesome was, job. I was nervous as hell going up there, but <laughs> once I got up there and just lived in the moment, like it, it seriously felt like I was having the conversation with her, like mm -hmm. a conversation that I wish we would have had, you know, before she made that decision. And, uh, any pushback from the eulogy? Uh, as far you know? as I know, no. I, I assume, um, you know, some of leadership didn't really like seeing it because I, I kind of called them out pretty hard. But yeah, they need to. Right. They need to be accountable for, you know, having their job is to look out for the officers that are under them. And they're not doing that. Absolutely. So, Did your sister complain or talk very much about that feeling of supervisors not looking out for their people and that kind of stuff? Yeah, and she just noticed the atmosphere around Chicago, uh, the way things changed. Um, ever since the defund the police movement came yeah. around, I remember she was on the she was a bike on bike patrol for a long time, mm -hmm. and she would always tell us how you know we we drive around Inglewood and the kids will play with us, shoot hoops with us, bring us water and things like that. She's like, "There's good people living there, you know." Sure. Minus the gang violence, there are there are families who do care about us. And she said, ever since the defund the police movements, the same kids who would come around and hang out with us and bring us water, won't even look at us. They'll spit at us. They'll laugh at us. Yeah, and she crazy. just saw with her own eyes the way that the, these movements and these political agendas change just the everyday treatment. Sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, she she uh, definitely complained about having her days off canceled constantly, and that still mm -hmm. goes on now. Um, yeah, I know you came out in something else, another interview or maybe you were talking to us on the last podcast about you had just seen or talked to somebody who had who worked twelve hour shifts like forty four days straight. Yeah, and my sister was twenty two before yeah. uh, she passed, and and that's outrageous. And I mean, yeah. any police officer you talk to in Chicago can relate to this. And they they did a whole study and came out uh, and said that no police officer in Chicago has had to work more than eleven straight days, and that's just not true. You could talk to any police officer <laughs> in Chicago; they all have. Yeah, who, exactly. who did that study? Yeah, the superintendent, yeah, the who's, mayor, who's investigating this? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh -huh. making themselves they, look better. They, they, yeah. they're the ones who did it. Yeah, sure. No more than eleven. But that still goes on now. I mean, my dad, I'll, I'll say, "Hey, what days are you off? Let's get together and do this or do that." And he says, "Oh, this day's off, canceled. That day's off, canceled." It's, it's just a common thing. You're, usually, you're not. You get two days off every, I think it's four or five days you work, and you're never getting both of them nowadays. And people need to understand, we're not talking about people working extra for the money. Right. We're talking about no options. It was yeah, not, exactly. nah, I don't want to come in today on my off day. No, you're coming in on your off day. Yeah. And that, and then again, being a single mom. Exactly. So she's got mom responsibilities. And, and what shift did she work? Uh, she worked. She got on about five a.m. and worked till about 
one, two o'clock, sometimes longer, depending on on the day, what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Sure, sure, <laughs> but, exactly. And it, you know, yeah, she's pretty much gone all day. And then, like, she looked forward to her days off more than anyone because she was someone who wanted to get together with the family or do fun things with her son Scotty. And that that's kind of a gut punch when you know you're looking forward to doing something all the time and right. finally having a day off and then they say it's canceled and you have no choice but to show up so and one of the things i didn't ask you before she went 22 days straight and then but just prior to that what had she had off and how long had she worked to get to those days off yeah With, i mean this had been going on this this wasn't a new event this had been going on and especially busy weekends like um Weekends that you want to get together with family and do stuff. Holidays, uh, mm-hmm. Memorial Day weekend, always, they're all canceled. Um, Labor Day weekend, things like that. It's just, it's tough on them to keep, you know, having to having to work the days that you, I, I would say that you earned, you know. Absolutely. Those, yeah, those are the days, exactly. off, those are the days to kind of decompress and figure your stuff out and enjoy yourself. And just having them say you have no choice but to come to work, it's like, come on. What happened to federal labor laws? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought we had them. And yeah. they're supposed to be the yeah. ones enforcing the law. I thought. Yeah. But, you know, pilots can only fly so exactly. many hours and truck yeah. drivers can only drive so many hours. And But, hey, people carrying guns, yeah, knock yourselves problem. out. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep, you can do it another day. Uh, yeah, this is ridiculous. It, who is actually driving the boat up there to try to make changes it, within the agency? Anybody? The uh, union, not, FOP, anybody? Yeah, I mean, uh, the FOP, I know fights for them, but they can only do so much, you know. I think it, I would think it all just, all this comes down from the mayor, and it's it's hard to go against somebody who, you know, is running the city. Well. And then when you have the top cop who has to back up whatever the mayor says, because right. they're, you know, they mm-hmm. work they work alongside each other. That's how you get the job, you know. You work under the mayor. So you have to agree with what they say, even if deep down you probably don't. And that's how I feel about a lot of these Sure. Uh, cops who are leaders. Yes, man. They're I mean, not leaders. They're yeah, supervisors. Exactly. Let's be clear. Uh, and the interim, is this somebody that they're looking to make permanent? Or um, they're just literally I interim? don't think he wants to be permanent. The interim right now, from what I've heard, uh, I've heard very good things about him. I've heard that he's a great cop, um, someone who stands for the right things. Uh, Came up through Chicago. Yes, but... I heard he doesn't want the job. I mean, who would? Yeah, yeah, I saw they only had right. they only had six people apply for the superintendent's job um, this time around. And the last time there was an opening, they had over 26. But now it's just showing who, who would want the job, you right. know? Any chance is still open? <laughs> it, it should be if there's still an interim. I see an opportunity I, I here. <laughs> I'm that not sure. I'm curious to see who Brandon Johnson ends up choosing as his uh, superintendent. But apparently there's not a lot of options. Joel? Let's see if this Southern female is an option. Why don't you see if <laughs> applications are still being accepted? Sheriff, superintendent, it's still up there on the uh, list, absolutely. right? But that's what happened. When you when you destroy your city, when you see the way police are treated and everything, who would want the job? You sure. Know? Who would want to be the top cop right. when cops are looked at as the bad guys nowadays? Well, and all anybody has to do is, do you want your job? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's that's the whole problem. And that's why sheriffs tend to be a little bit more effective because they are elected by the people right? and the chiefs that we know, um, again, names will be called one day, uh, are in it just to maintain their own job, right? not worry about anybody make, else. Make myself look good. Absolutely. And I'm sure if you're a police officer, most of your views don't align with the current mayor's views. So why would you, why would you want to go be someone who works directly with him and under him? Sure. You're basically selling your soul. You got to go against what you believe in to 
preach whatever he does. What are the numbers in Chicago right now? Do you know how many officers they have on the paper, on the books? Last I saw, I know it's under 10,000, I believe. Maybe under... I know they... The city's budgeted to have 14,000 officers. Okay, that was good. Um, All right. Wow. And I know, yeah, they're very short. Maybe it's under 12,000. I don't know. I know they're at least 2,000 officers short right now. Um, and that's what happens. That's why your days off get canceled. That's why you're working long hours because you're working for 2,000 extra people that right. don't exist. Well, if there are any Chicago officers listening, let me tell you what I tell everybody down here. Get intermittent FMLA. <laughs> <laughs> they can't deny you. It's federal law. Yep. You want a day off? You call in FMLA day. They if they ask you why, oh, there's a problem. That is not acceptable. And I said, I, before I die, y'all are gonna be able to put on my tombstone. She was the queen of intermittent FMLA. Because I tell every cop dispatcher around here, get it. You don't have to use it, but if you need it, hey, there's yeah. nothing they can do about it. They can cancel your off days all day long. But if you got FMLA on the books and you get 12 weeks a year and it's not calendar year, it's based on if you get it July 1st, carries you to the next July 1st. Uh, but that's a way to get days off when you when you need them. Yeah. And there's nothing to do about it. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have seen recently the police districts, too. They're all um, all the migrants who are coming in are all living in the police districts now because Brandon Johnson welcome them all to the city which is great but have a plan for them sure. have, have housing exactly. for them have have something where they could stay and uh you know they, so are they homeless most of them yeah and they all just live there's at least in the police district closest to my house there's at least about 40 to 50 migrants just staying in the lobby they really? all have sleeping bags and everything yeah all the <laughs> police is, districts that is unbelievable they have sleeping bags and everything wow. some of them have kids as little as one, two years old, it's crazy. Now that, and They're that's just, the whole police district's filled. That's going to compound on the mental wellness issues right. of officers yeah, with exactly. seeing these children. Yeah. It's one thing adults that are making right. these decisions, but when you can't do anything to help these kids living yeah. in the lobby of your district, that's who's feeding them. Uh, I believe they're just kind of collecting food and things like that for them, but uh. Yeah. I mean, for you as a mayor to invite all these people to your city and say, you know, it's a safe place, it's a safe haven, and then having absolutely no plan right. afterwards is, and now the police are responsible to take care of them. They got enough, they got enough to take care of in the city, you know? Absolutely. That's crazy. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Look up online all the pictures. They'll show the whole, the whole district floor is covered with just sleeping bags and. Wow. Any of them creating issues from what trouble? i've heard no okay. but um like my dad was saying too like you don't know like what kind of sicknesses and things like that they're bringing right. and spreading throughout the districts like True. It, it's not a, it's not a place for people to just move into you know it's a working environment yeah yeah, yeah. well and it's not a place for kids exactly no. wow that's they have no business being there that is chicago is a sanctuary city right right yes. under <laughs> crazy lady yeah uh <laughs> Wow. Now, your dad, how much longer does he have? Uh, he'll retire when he's 55, so he turns 54 this August, so a little over a year left. That's mandatory? 55 uh, retirement? 55, just... you get the full insurance and benefits and things like that. you got to have 30 years, but you also got to be 55, so he already has the 30 years. But Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
I can't even imagine. Crazy. Um, what was your sister's real passion? Did she have a real cause that she was really motivated and driven by? Um, I'm sure personally she did. Um, from what I always saw, it, it was just her wanting to help people, her wanting to serve people. Um, that's how she was for our family. Mm -hmm. She she was always there for everybody, and she was someone who didn't really talk about her own problems much. And uh, I think that's why it was such a shock for everyone. But she, for anyone in our family, for all of her friends and beyond, she was always the person you go to with something. You sure. know, no matter what you needed, she was there uh, any time of day or night. And that's why I just I wish, you know, we could have been the same for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's the hard part. It's like I know she knows how much everyone loved her. I know she knows how much everyone would have been there for her in a heartbeat. But when you're going through those dark moments and things like that, you're not you're not thinking about everybody else. You're thinking about what's hurting you inside yeah. sure. the pain you're facing. And sometimes you just want that to end. And uh, that's how you come to that decision. And I'm sure the academies are the same there as they are everywhere else in, in the country. And this is one of the things we've been screaming the loudest too, is, is that, you know, this old principle that they still teach today, keep personal and professional separate. It's what's driving a lot of that. She was protecting you. She was protecting the family members that weren't law enforcement that she probably, that those are the ones she probably would have been more likely to want to talk to, like you. Absolutely. But how could she, she's the problem solver. She's the one everybody comes to. Again, in the academies, keep personal and professional separate. Can't do it. It's total impossibility, but it drives yeah. this conflict yep. for them to ask for help. But I remember you talking on the last podcast or on, on one of the interviews that we saw or one of your speeches somewhere but she actually did reach out for help in the EAP program, didn't she? She did, yeah. And she was that. she was not happy with it at all. Um, I remember it was during COVID um, when she was trying to see counselors. So it was mostly like Zoom meetings or over the phone. And uh, I remember when she called and finally got in to speak with somebody that they were basically just talking about themselves. Um, <laughs> my sister actually asked, you know, she, she asked how she's doing and... Uh, the lady basically just went on and on saying how rough of a time she's been having. And my sister was like, oh, no, is this a bad time? Like, <laughs> should I? <laughs> Man, COVID Switch is like my sister my felt like she was, you know, being yeah. her counselor. And uh, it's not the first time we've not a great it. experience at all. Um, Do you know what what precipitated her even reaching out, trying to get into EAP? I think just the day to day struggles and also um, she lost her father. We have different fathers. She lost her father back in, I think it was about four or five years back. Um, and that always was difficult on her. And uh, it was right around Christmas, I remember, and the holidays were always hard for her. So that was when she was trying to get in and talk to somebody. And just as a single mother and things like that, too, mm -hmm. Christmas is. Definitely a stressful time having sure. your days off canceled too. It's just a lot going on. Right. She wanted to let that out, but apparently uh, the counselor had bigger things to talk about. <laughs> How rough her life is. Yeah. Um, was her biological father in law enforcement? No, he was not. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but again, you said when she finally got in, how long did she try? Do you know how long she'd been trying to get into a counselor? I hear from a lot of people um, that it constantly gets put off to talk to somebody. Um, there was a news interview I did not too long ago about a woman, uh, Sarah Hecker. She had, um, she had, I think, I believe she got injured on the job and, uh, was just having a hard time dealing with that and things like that. And, uh, 
she was trying to get in to speak with some to somebody for months and months and she couldn't get in to see a counselor for i think over six months i'm not sure if she still has yet but um wow it's just these officers who are struggling as a result of you know the city they're working in the city that they're serving and helping and you can't give them any help back it's uh it's pathetic are they still only seeing them over the internet do you know? I believe they still do in-person stuff too, but not. And even if they are available to speak to you, it's it's pretty hard to get in when you're working all these long hours and right. You know, canceled days off. When are you supposed to go see them? Absolutely. Are, are they going to let you go see them during your work shift? Exactly. You know, they ain't going to do that. So no, no. Have um, have you had anybody else come out and kind of talk in opposition to things you've said? Because, I mean, you've been on the news talking about the the breakdown in the mental health counseling and all those things. Is anybody else coming back and going, oh, he's wrong, he doesn't know? Or Yeah, so it was funny, actually. At the, um, at the funeral, um, the CPD chaplain, right after I spoke, you know, said he got up there and, you know, said thank you for your words and stuff. But then he kind of clapped back and said, you know, there are services available and all this stuff. And a lot of people came to me after and they were like, I can't believe he even said that after, <laughs> yeah. uh, because clearly what they have isn't working, you know. Right. And um, you know he's a good guy. He's just trying to make sure that they know that there is. He's going to stand up for the department. I mean, he's a CPD chaplain for a reason. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you but, know, but if you clearly, can't get into them, yeah, exactly. Clearly, what they're doing isn't uh, isn't working. And I I've heard countless times um, whoever runs the EAP, I forget his name, just speaking on the news, talking about you know how they're. They're making all these more, they're hiring more clinicians and building more clinics and doing all these great things. Well, it doesn't matter if they, like you said, if they can't get into them and find mm-hmm. the time to do it. It doesn't matter. You could have all the clinics in the world, but if there's no time to go into them, what, why does it matter? Or if they don't trust them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's the other thing. Because I wonder how many your sister might have mentioned to even friends at CPD that she'd either been trying or what this counselor did say, and then they're all going, well, that, that ain't yeah. I ain't going that direction. 100%. I've had so many officers reach out to me just through direct messages and things like that, um, replying to my speeches and, you know, saying uh, they're scared to talk to EAP because they don't want to get their guns or badges mm-hmm. taken away over something minor. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how they feel about that. Um, it's not for everyone, and they have to know that there's more options to speak to somebody beyond that. Yeah. And, you know, we appreciate all the efforts you have made to try to even get us up there, because, again, we're the same as EAP until they need us. Right. Truthfully. Yeah, absolutely. People can talk all day long, but the fear is one phone call and then find out what they've heard isn't the truth. Then it's too late at that point. And so that that's the hard part. But we're not giving up on Chicago by any stretch. We're keep we'll keep fighting. and, And the unions have to have to push a little harder on stuff too. Um, but even like the FOP, they have to be willing to look at out of the box, right? Yes. They, they have to look, okay, this is what we've been doing and the city's trying this, yes, they're hiring more clinicians, but obviously it's not working. So what else can we do? Yep. And and I don't think that's happening. Well, and the FOP, they are all they have to do is call the Colorado state FOP president that I've known for 10 years or more, who's had us up there speaking numerous times. And Steve, dear, uh, Steve, um, uh, yes, hello, COVID brain, here we go. Uh, it'll come to me in a minute. Uh, anyway, he, he'll he tell them exactly uh, what I have done there and other places, North Dakota, South Dakota, FOP, 
Yeah, they sucked me into Monot in February. <laughs> I was yeah. stupid. Uh, but there are FOPs that they can verify this stuff with, but right. they haven't. And yeah. that's, you know, they, they like you said, they got to get out of the box. Right. And stop saying, well, you know, we just need to get more of what we have. No. Yeah, and the sad part is with Chicago, I feel like most of these officers don't even know places like this exist. They um, don't. Because anytime they go to ask for help, it's always EAPs available, EAPs available. Well, that doesn't work for everyone. You need to... And they, they should be saying, well, EAP is available, but if that doesn't work for you, you know, here's a list of right. plenty of places that are here as Other resources options. for you. And yes. uh, that's not happening. It's almost like they don't want, the, you know, they want it all within. They want mm-hmm. their own They want to keep it in house. Yeah. 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 Why that's do you the think whole, that is? The whole, I think it's just the whole stigma behind needing help is, you know, within the departments, um, it's something that's obviously amongst the officers, they know what they're dealing with and they know how difficult it is. But that fear of, okay, I'm going to get my gun taken away if I talk about something that's going going wrong in my head right now. Sure. And uh, I think that just contributes to the whole stigma beyond that is, you know, the fear of speaking out and saying the wrong things and then having your day-to-day life change because of it. But why do you think the departments only want, or why do you think departments are trying to control that, who they go to? I assume that's who they're funding. Um, <laughs> the money aspect um, is uh, right. obviously the EAP is under contract with sure. Chicago. but um, Well, it's also that they know they're licensed and they control them with the money. And if they want information on an officer, yeah. if they don't get it, then things can change. And they can, uh, you know, because that's, that's what's happened with us numerous times yeah. is, they, they want control. Yeah. And I go, huh, oh, well, get over it. I'll just do it for free. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> get over yourselves. Because <laughs> that mean Susan, we're talking about that the other day where essentially, you know, there's different insurance providers that'll back up different services, clinicians, what, what have you, right? As a clinician, you can, you have the right to take two different sets of notes, mm-hmm. right? One that you have to provide to the insurance companies because usually you have to diagnose. That way it gets billed. That's how they make their money. Yeah, which axis does that thing fall on in the DSM? Right, exactly. And then they can continue service and continue billing and whatnot. But then there's another set of notes that you can keep private and and whatnot. And, you know, they usually won't subpoena that. If they ask for a subpoena, you give them the one that they give the insurance. The issue then comes from who's backing the insurance, which in this case would be the department. Sure. And so if the department goes to the insurance and says, hey, what's going on with this specific client? Well, they easily now have the records and that's how they're able to get information. It doesn't necessarily come straight from the clinician, but it goes, I mean, they're they're getting the money from the insurance department. And of course they're giving the information to them because they have to, to bill. So yeah, it's a whole, it's a, a fucked up system it, it is. is or and yeah. even just subpoenaing the stuff um it, it's it's amazing at how much they the people at the top want to be able to get information on certain people that they might want to get rid of and that's their whole thing and you know you look at like here at phoenix they have an employee assistance unit does chicago have anything like that that it's actually officers trained and they go out on shootings and yes they do stuff and and then i assume they have peer support in addition yeah peer support worked with us a lot um after patsy's death which was was nice of them sure but again they're still the department (laughs) yeah exactly and i i think a huge part of it is just um 
lack of accountability and fear, fear that, you know, something else might work better than what we do. And we don't want that. It's, it's selfish. It's Mm -hmm. wanting, like you said, wanting control over, you know, what we do works and we don't want officers getting help or advice outside of our department because, you know, they're a part of us. Yeah. You find that a lot with the peer support teams where one, one department, you know, that has a peer support team, they don't want somebody else's team coming in from a different department. Yeah. These are really what you should want. These are my people. I I want to help them. We can help them. Right. Really, all you should want is, you know, whatever's best for the officer and their well-being and what's going to, you know, bring them the most success um, within their own life and also just as a police officer. How are they going to be best suited to serve our city? Sure. And uh, it seems like the city wants all the credit for it. You know, they want to keep everything within and whatever they do works. And if it doesn't work for you, then, you know. Go, go work somewhere else. Did Patsy ever talk about peer support? And had she ever talked to any peer support? Do you know? I don't believe so. Um, at least with me, she never talked about it. But um, Is peer support set up within the department for you guys? Yeah. So peer support, at least from my experience, um, it seems like they're there for like a lot of like families who are dealing with like police officers' deaths and things like that. Like they were there a, a lot um, coming by and stuff uh, after Patsy died. And I've noticed with other line of duty deaths and things like that, yeah, they're around the family more so. I'm not sure how it works like with officers, if they work alongside officers or if they're more so there for it's usually very families reactive. of officers. Right. Yeah. It's usually you officer gets in a shooting. Now we'll come out and see what we can do to help you. Right. Not exactly, sure but like even more than that. Like I think you were talking about in the South, they do it different than how it's done yeah. out here, right? right? Where oh, it's like yeah. someone from a different department, different city that would come down. That makes more sense to me rather than talking from uh, talking to someone within your same department going through the same stuff, and then you also have that stigma now. Right? Sure. Yeah, like it's well, the just, same thing. Like when Chris Ferrar died, and you got mm-hmm. in-house peer support yeah, in yeah. a department that they all knew Chris Ferrar too. Yeah. And yeah, no, our our team under the Shields team in Alabama, we we don't even let peers go in the same county where they work. We have them trained all over the state, and it, that's how it was initially intended to be. And you know, because you could talk to somebody. Well, I mean, you were on peer support right. at Tempe, and you know, you could have talked to somebody before you became a sergeant. They're coming in, talking to you, spilling their guts, and then the next week you're promoted to be their sergeant. They don't know what you're gonna do with what you exactly. said. And, you know, to me, if if you put the information out, here are the peer support people trained in your department. If somebody, because a lot of people felt comfortable coming to you once right. they knew that, um, that's fine. But to mandate they have to talk to people and people are going, yeah, I know how much yeah. you run your mouth. Yeah, yeah that ain't going to happen. And one of the things I did here when I first got here, I couldn't believe it. Uh, the chief secretary was <laughs> part of peer support. And was in a debriefing on a line of duty death. And I'm going, why is she here? Well, she's on yeah. peer sport. Well, where are the other chief secretaries she's a peer to? Because yeah, exactly. these are motor cops. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't a peer to motor cops. You know, and whether she was taking stuff back to the chief or not, what what's the perception? Exactly. I was like, no, I don't think so. Y'all know what you're doing out here. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's uh, it's pathetic. The EAU or whatever they call it up there, were they around very much? Uh, not with us. I guess they're more so with just officers who need help. That's who you're going to go to, EAP, um, which it seems like it's a broken system. And mm-hmm. it seems like the department, like I said, they fear trying something new. They fear trying something that will work better than what they do. And uh, 
But you'd think they'd want to be able to brag at ICP and go, man, exactly. look what oh, they we still, found. They still brag about their, their shitty programs. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're like, look at our shiny piece of shit that we got over right. here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we only had 30 kill themselves this year. And, you know. Right, but it, exactly. You know, what is your goal here? What, yeah. what is it you think that they're doing that's so And like great? I said, after an officer does, you know, die by suicide, it seems like moving forward, you hear, like I said, you hear things for the first few weeks, and then it's just nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing changes. Yeah. You know, it's just a, out of it's sight, a, it's out a of cycle. Mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It won't happen one. again. Right. Yeah. Then they, it happens they say again. all the same things. That's probably some prepared statement. You sure. know, that's already written out, and give their uh, their condolences and move on to the next one. You know. Are you um, communicating with any of the other families very much of officers that have killed themselves? Yeah. So um, actually, one of the main speeches I gave was out in front of city city council, and that was with a lot of the families of uh, who have had officers die by suicide. And uh, it was nice for all of us to go together because uh, sometimes when something like this happens, you kind of feel like nobody gets what you're going through. You right. feel like an outsider. So sure. being along, being along there with people who you know, have dealt with that same loss uh, meant a lot. And then having them be willing to come speak out about it as well, um, that's huge. Are they still being vocal? Yeah, definitely. Um, It seems like I I keep up with all of them on social media. And obviously, um, it's a devastating loss for everyone in different ways, depending on, you know, who they lost and what figure in their life it was. But um, everybody seems like, you know, we want change. Mm -hmm. Uh, They should be honored as a line of duty death they should be and these things should be discussed on a greater level than just oh after someone kills themselves now we're gonna just honor them and talk about it for a couple weeks and then move on with it you know we need to be doing something to prevent it before it happens yeah have you been contacted at all by an organization called blue help i have not interesting Hmm. okay I don't believe so okay (laughs) I i think you would probably know uh yeah yeah, we'll talk some about that during the training next week. But uh, to me, it, it just seems like there there has to be some civic organization that mm-hmm. would start to realize, you know, when we're losing officers like this, something's got to give. And if the departments aren't going to do it, then the churches, somebody needs to be stepping up yeah. here. Yeah. Are you finding anybody on the outside that's... There actually is, um, there's an officer, Alicia, I can't think of her last name right now, but she reached out to me a couple of weeks ago, and she's actually starting a support group within the department. Uh, it's called STAR, S-T-A-R, um, and they just had their first meeting. It was actually on my birthday, so I wasn't able to make the meeting, um, but uh, I'll be going to the next one in July. But basically, it's for like families and people who are dealing with... Um, losses of suicide within the department and she's actually a police officer but she also is a psychiatrist on the side okay she has nothing to do with the department with that but um she just set up a support group and uh apparently one of the cpd chaplains are working with her and i guess it's just a a way for people to connect and talk about what they're dealing with and uh yeah she said the first meeting went really well so it is good to see officers like that within the department stepping up and doing their own thing because the department itself isn't doing that so Sure. Someone else has to step up for sure. So we'll see where that where that takes her. You know, I had a and Chris Farrar and I used to laugh because we I'd have these things and we called them God God things. Um, I one of the other things I have now in my crawl I want to see happen, and I don't really even know where it needs to happen. Chicago might be the place. 
I think there needs to be a memorial wall for those that have committed suicide. Yeah, why They not? don't go on the line of duty wall in D.C. They need their own wall then. Why would we not do something somewhere? Yeah, and speaking of that, actually, um, another officer reached out to me not too long ago, and they said outside the FOP, they plan on um, creating a wall for officers who died by suicide coming up this fall, which is awesome because uh, I know we've been reaching out uh, the Memorial Wall downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have said, why can't the officers who you know died by suicide be on that wall too? Because mm-hmm. uh, I know my aunt actually commented on one of the Chicago Police Department things. Um, she actually lost her brother to suicide as well. He was also a police officer, and then her niece, my sister. Um, wow. Yeah, so she she's dealt with it tremendously. And uh, she reached out and said, you know, why can't their names be on there too? Because it's no matter how they died, it doesn't change their service. It doesn't exactly. change what they did and what yeah. they gave to this city, and they deserve to be honored that way. Well, and I believe there's a saying on the National Wall up in D.C. about that, isn't there? And they're one of the things that it's not how they died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but my whole thing is is we need a national wall. Exactly. Because people don't have a clue right. how many there have been, and yeah. there needs to if, be if a national gonna, wall. Right. If we're going to put it in the spotlight, then let's put it in the spotlight. Not just Chicago's exactly. or New York's yeah. or whoever's. Let's, do, let's go full force on this thing and go back like they do on the other wall. You know, they're adding them every year from the 1800s and yeah. early 1900s. Before I was born, Joel, <laughs> I just want to make sure you are clear about that. Um but there needs to be a national wall mm-hmm. to honor and a place for families to meet from all over this country. Right. And that's that's something that just has come up that has really stuck in my head that it it needs to be done. And and I don't know that it necessarily matters where it is. It needs to be a place that would I don't I don't think I would want it in DC, to be honest with you, not with the way DC is now. Um, but there needs to be a place. Yeah. There would be a national wall. And have um, the ceremonies, the same kind of things that go on through cops for the national, for the families every exactly. year with the suicides. And I agree. So maybe, Joel, there's something else you can get on. <laughs> It'd be nice if they just put it on the national wall and I so they don't you. keep it separate. Because, I, I mean, I, like, my dad was honored at the national wall, but it still felt different. Right, right. And... I don't know. That's a whole nother thing. But I just don't think that it should be different. Like everyone served their time. Exactly. And, and then when you look at like how these things happened, like it was very much due to the increased work, especially, I mean, especially 2020. That's, you know, when my dad got sick, but it sounds like your sister was going through it for a while and 2020 was rough. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, I'm thinking back to comments we get on Mm -hmm. social media and I don't think the public understands like you imagine working four, five, six weeks in a row, no day off. Yes. And the other thing, think about, uh, I wish I had the username, uh, cause I wanted to be petty on one podcast, but (laughs) I I had some smart ass say like, uh, that delivery drivers have, uh, have a tougher job than police officers because they're more at risk. It took every ounce in me to not just be civilized, but 
I don't think people understand what police officers really go through on the day to day. I think it, mm-hmm. there's there's a stat, uh, and I I'm gonna butcher it because I don't know it by heart, but it talks about the in your life, just typical civilians see so many critical incidents, whether it be a car accident or God forbid a shooting or something like or that, or a dead right? body even, mm-hmm. not at a funeral. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think the number was like three or five in a lifetime. Yeah. And yeah. it's like. And then it goes like the next line. It's like nurses, social workers, you know, those lines see X amount through just their career. And then it's like police officers like skyrocket, like see so like we're talking like weekly, like critical incidents weekly. Multiple during the week. It's thousands. We have we've had that statistic in our trainings in the past, but I can't remember. But it was a crazy amount. It is. It's it's thousands. Yes. Um, like regular civilians, let alone a delivery driver, doesn't touch that. And so when you factor that in with the amount of hours that they work, and then you brought up like even like having now your workplace and it's, it's cool that they're doing that, opening it up for people, but you're right. Like people, I mean, there's going to be sick people and COVID Mm -hmm. just happened. I mean, just every, all that factoring in, they're exposed to a lot. And they bring all of that stuff home to their families and they worry about even those things. And then that affects their life, which then is just dumping more garbage on them, right? That's it. And so uh, they need to be nationally recognized because at the end of the day, it's it's a situation that the departments, the community, whoever has created. Sure. Sure. You know, and, and I agree with you 100%. I just don't think we're ever going to get those organizations yeah. that run the national wall and stuff to ever agree because too many chiefs and sheriffs shy away from it. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it's sad uh, because, again, and we you'll hear us talk about this. There's uh, psychological traumatic brain injury and physiological traumatic brain injury. And I don't know an officer who doesn't have psychological traumatic brain injury. <laughs> yeah, they all do. Exactly. Yeah. And that is as legit and real as the physiological one. So why can't we understand that the death is caused by that psychological traumatic brain injury? Yeah. And nobody's wanting to talk about that stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, and what I'll tell you what adds to the extra to it is when departments are taking these attitudes of, you know, it was a suicide, so we're not going to do this, and we're not going to do that. Then it's telling all these other officers who are going, man, I've had that same thought, because that's a normal thought in law enforcement. Now it's driving it even farther underground because they're going, man, look how they're doing this. No wonder people in law enforcement are planning line-of-duty deaths because then that removes that whole thing for the family. The money's there, the honor's there, the attention, the whole thing is there. It's self-perpetuating. Yeah, it's just fascinating how like people were like all up in arms about Amazon cutting like X amount of jobs, right? And the work conditions <laughs> at Amazon. And now your package is late because of these conditions at Amazon. How could we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like nationwide, every city is short thousands of employees of police officers, police right? Officers. Like it's crazy. And it's the con- like the conditions that that they're building. Yeah, they're not backing their officers. They're not giving them the support that they need. Well, not to mention we're lowering standards to yeah, get people hired. And I heard recently about a department here, eight mm-hmm. new recruits 
showed up for the academy day one, six walked. <laughs> and you go, well, that was a waste of time, yeah. you know. Jeez. I found that stat you're looking for. Oh, you did? So it says the average person will experience one and a half to two critical incidents in their lifetime. The average police officer over a 20-year career will experience 800 critical incidents. No delivery drivers mentioned in those? No, no. no. <laughs> delivery drivers aren't mentioned. Well, and going back to the comment, like you said, I see so many comments where I just, yeah. you know, the, and the main one I see all the time is, uh, you know, well, that's what they signed up for. They oh, chose yeah. This. yeah. Don't you want to just exactly. slap somebody? And it's like, well, yeah, they chose this job to help you, to, ser to serve people like you, even people who don't agree with them. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's such a thankless job, you know. And uh, That's not why we signed up for it well, at all. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. Uh, and this is, again, where mental health drops the ball because, again, they will focus on an officer who shoots and kills somebody. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's something they are trained to do. They know they could come out there taught how to, when to, where to, why to. Exactly. But nobody talks about the aftermath of that. And so mental health focuses in on you shot and killed somebody, and they're going, well, yeah, they shot me first, so right. <laughs> that's <only> fair. <laughs> um, but that's not usually the issue. The, the issue usually is because somebody else got hurt or something happened before the officer got there. That's the struggle, but mental health doesn't want to look at that part. It's the, oh, my God, because, again, they know nothing about the industry. Right. And just like Mark Valenzuela, who is going to come speak Tuesday at our stress coach class, and, you know, it, it was 11 seconds, and the therapist watched the video and starts crying. <laughs> and Mark's like, well, ma'am, let me take that evil video, and you don't ever have to look at that thing again, and I'm out of here. That was the one to two critical incidents a year for him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Box checked. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and so they're focused. And again, it's not that they're bad people. They're focusing on the wrong thing because they yeah. haven't had the training to know how to deal with these they people. Don't, yeah, they don't understand the lifestyle that the officer lives just like that yeah. counselor's doing that with patsy are you kidding yeah. me and whenever yeah. whenever the city has a problem with something it always falls on the officer like with with the migrants right now they're all sure oh, we don't know what to do with these migrants we'll let the police handle it or right. when they need us when they need a scapegoat for some for something oh, they yeah, blame the police exactly sure. but then when the police need help and you know need someone's help everyone's silent you know there's, yeah, there's nowhere signed to up go for. yeah yeah what yeah it, yeah like i said and again for patsy to go into someone if that counselor had even understood what it took for her to get to that place exactly. to even ask for help. Exactly. And then to handle it that way. Are you kidding me? I, I like the example that you often talk about. I was just about to say that. Where, <laughs> uh -oh. where you say, um, where you told somebody that was going to go see a counselor, well, ask them if they've ever even held a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, that they should go through extra training. Exactly. That's, you know, right. how you oh, you're, talk you're about. talking about what I talked about, about sports psychologists. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, sports yeah. psychologists. It's funny because I pulled that up the other day to talk about it in the class next week. Uh, you know, there's so much more they have to do than just get their PhD in psychology. Yeah. And you being an athlete, you wouldn't want somebody who just has, they've got to understand all your rigorous training, kinesiology, and all the other words I can't pronounce and don't know what they mean either. <laughs> um, but if our... If it's acceptable in society that our athletes need specialization, then our tactical athletes, our police, 100%. our fire, our military have to have that. And again, 31, I mean, we've only been around 31 years. We're yeah. a new organization, young. obviously, very, very young. young. We're just babies in this. But I did the full SWAT school. I did the hostage negotiation training. I did all that stuff. And most of these, like you said, 
But we got one right here in Phoenix that dealt with the most officers involved in shootings in 2018. And she was asked the question, have you ever held a gun? And her response was, not really. I kind of thought that was a yes or no question. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) I'm not sure. Are you pregnant? Not really. What does that mean? (laughs) You you were, you were, you want to be, I don't know. But how do you begin to understand the enormity of everything they do, plus the equipment, to just put that gun on every single day? It becomes a norm for you. You don't put it on going, oh, my God, look at what I'm putting on today. But then to pull it, to point at someone and to make the decision to pull the trigger? Seriously? Uh, if you don't understand any of those things, then why are you even on an EAP list? Yeah, yeah I think I think we're just so far behind. Like just the, the mental health world is just so far behind on that thinking. Because so like out here in Arizona, you have your clinical counseling. Mm-hmm. You have family marriage therapy. <laughs> And then you have Addictions. addiction, yep. and all these are separate licenses, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, oh, and school, school counselor. Yes, that's right. Completely yeah. different. Yes. And they all focus on different things, right? And you need different hours and different things, mm-hmm. and it's because the population you're dealing with is, is all different, and there's different therapies for that population. Sure. Right. You wouldn't do something that you would do for you know working with kids. You know, maybe the same as, you know, uh, I don't know if you're doing like addiction uh, therapy, like it's just different. And that makes sense. Who are the best addiction therapists? You're in, you're getting your master's. Who makes the best addiction therapist? A recovering yeah. addict. Previous, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, again, yeah. but I think the police departments go, well, we've got that with peer support. Peer support is geared. Their training is geared solely toward after a critical incident, right. everything is focused on after it happens. We know for a fact, especially after 9-11, people healthier going into the critical incidents are healthier coming out the back end. But there's no emphasis in that. Right. Suicide prevention training. We have been amazed at asking the question, <laughs> how many of you have been in suicide prevention? And hands go up. Oh, what did you learn? Uh, Breathe. Uh, yeah. Nobody gets anything. The crickets. Yeah. And then we'll find out it's intervention mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I asked a chief and one of them, I said, you mean to tell me you sat through a whole training and you came out and it not one time did it occur to you I didn't learn anything on how to prevent suicide? And I said, if I'd offered a firearms training and all I talked about was some stupid, I don't know, report writing or something, <laughs> you'd have come out and you'd have dogged me all over this country. Yeah. But you don't think anything about that. And if you ask them about, you know, any of their physical or tactical training, they could tell you all about it. Exactly. All day but long. Why is it that they didn't remember anything from, you know, the suicide intervention <laughs> or whatever it was? That they didn't learn anything. And that needs to be right? something that's instilled in them, you know? Yes. J- just like they know how to how to shoot their firearm, they, they should know, you know, how, how to prevent suicides, how to, how to talk to somebody about those right. things. And they don't. Nobody teaches them that. Well, I'm convinced that the one, the female police officer in Dallas that went in the wrong apartment, you remember, and killed the guy because she thought, yep. I'll bet you, sleep deprived. The woman in, I think it was in Missouri, that pulled the gun instead of the taser. Right. Guarantee you, sleep deprivation. At what point did departments, because usually liability is a big, big topic. Talk yep. money and, and mm-hmm. high risk. At what point did they not begin to look at it and go, our people are putting the city's money and the county's money high risk for us to be sued for stuff. Because we're not doing what we need to do. 
We're not making sure they're healthy. Why do you think the restrictions to the FAA are for airline pilots? Because put a plane in the <laughs> ground or in the ocean or That's in a mountain, right. <laughs> somebody's paying a whole lot of money. Yeah. And we don't want that to happen. So it, it's, you know, it's just crazy to me. But again, so your sister's death has not really changed any of the policies or anything. None of those line of duty deaths in that, that year. No, nothing's changed with that. But uh, for me, it changed a lot, you know, and it, it, yes. it put a spark in me to, you know, speak out about these things and create change. So, yeah, hopefully that takes us somewhere. Yeah. And, and you're not giving up. You know, they yeah. may just because they hadn't heard from you in a few weeks doesn't mean you're out. You're <laughs> no, laying dormant. I'm coming back. You're waiting. Yeah, yeah we're going to get you fired up this week. Yeah, and, absolutely. And we're going to come up with lots of ways we can get into Chicago yeah. and yell and scream. And, again, I'm I'm too old to care what anybody thinks, chiefs, sheriffs, superintendents, mayors, whoever. Um, get a mic in front of me, and I'll start beating the drum with you. And so, you know, we're, we're just honored to have you at Under the Shield on the board and now going through the stress coach certification because, again, if you can save one, it should be what your whole goal is at this point. Yeah. And you do that in honor of your sister. Absolutely. And that's the thing at Under the Shield. We try everything we do. We try to do it to honor Chris Farrar and to honor all officers, line of duty, death, suicides, their families, all of it. It, somebody's got to keep beating the drum because what's been happening isn't working. So you're going to go back fired up more than ever. <laughs> That's why I'm so excited to be here too, is, you know, not only learning for myself, but taking back what I learned, you know, yeah. other people back in Chicago and teaching sure. them and, you know, having them become familiar with under the shield. Because like I said, most people probably don't even know that this exists. Right? I'm sure they don't. And, and it's it, not for lack of trying. It needs to be something that everybody knows about. Every, you know, it's available to everybody, and uh, we're yeah. gonna make that happen. It's a simple. It's a simple phone call. That's a difficult thing to do, but boy, once exactly. you do it, uh, and and that's where we're very different. Again, I had an officer come in this week to mm -hmm. the office, and when he was walking up the stairs to come in, I was watching him. His head was down, and he was just. I could just see the dilemma on his. Crossing you know, just, that, that yeah, threshold. He did not want to open that door. You that's know? the hardest step. Right. Man. And that's what I told him after we were talked for a couple hours. I was like, how did you feel when you were walking up? He's like, man, I didn't know what to expect. And I was having a hard time wanting to come in. I said, but how do you feel now that you we've been together for a while? He says, uh, it was not that it should not have felt that hard. It, it was it's easy to do looking back at it. But he says, I did not want to open the door. <laughs> and that's one of the things I tell all of them when they text me to set the appointment. I go, do not stress over this appointment. Right. This will wind up being the easiest thing you've done, I promise. <laughs> and they'll go, thank you for saying that. And and it's true. It and is like true. Like the first time that I went to see you, I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, okay, let's, I'm doing this for, for Linda, <laughs> you know, and, yep. and we spent almost five hours talking. And yeah. I, when we left, I was like, wow, that was, that was crazy. Yes. Amazing. It was so easy. Like talking to a friend and. You'll find using humor is yeah. the best part of all that. Cause and, I'll even tell him, I go, look, 
If you come in and you're a jerk, I'll just beat you with the red man stick. Don't worry about it. Or I tell them, yeah, I kind of figured you weren't man enough. You yeah. don't have the balls to come in. Here. What are you talking about, Susan? I'm coming now. That's right. You know, uh, you, you just kind of have to joke around about yep. it and lighten the mood because mental health does not do that. Yeah. And, you know, and they'll go, how long is a session? Well, it could be 18 hours, but that's on you. I'll be snoozing by then. Uh, but usually three to four to six. But yeah. I don't lock the door. Yeah. You're free to go. Absolutely, at any time. And and so with that, they start to realize, okay, it's not what they are thinking yeah. it is and or an experience that they've had. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to you're going to be taking that stuff back to Chicago and like I said, this Southerner, if I can get up there, I might be banned afterwards, but that's okay. I've been banned from other places before. Won't be, maybe I'll add that to my bucket list. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah, it'll be a fun week. So as we wrap things up here uh, in our whatever episode, somebody asked me the other day how many episodes. Do you have any idea, Joel? No, because I have them all. I have like five saved on the desktop <laughs> ready to get uploaded. But I mean, do we even know what number? Um, I mean, I know Grossman was 100, but that's been how long ago? Yeah, that's Good been God. a while. <laughs> the first of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got, anyway, 100 and something anyway. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we want to thank you again, Ron. We're looking forward to having you in the training. And again, honored to have you on the board. And we're going to we're gonna get into Chicago one way or another. Somehow. Yeah. Yes, we are. Um Thank you to, for having me. We may have to slip in under the dark of midnight <laughs> and come in by boat or something. I don't know. But uh, for all of you out there, first responders, military, and families, um, we just want you to know we're here 24-7, 365 days a year. It's not a day that, that we're not available. I was telling somebody the other night the story of my flying in Christmas Eve here, <laughs> landing with Santa Claus at Phoenix Airport at 12.05 um, because of an officer that was shot back in southern Alabama. Uh, so we're here. And when we talk about anonymity, that is the strongest form of confidentiality there is. Confidentiality, please listen up. First responders don't understand. That is a legal term with exceptions. There are times they will breach confidentiality. Anonymity means we don't have anything. If we wanted to breach That's it, right. we couldn't. And again, I got chemo brain and dementia. You got mad cow disease, Tom, right. whatever. <laughs> and uh, we won't remember. Uh, but please reach out to us. If you call our 855 number, which is 855-889-2348, and you hit extension 1, you will get a stress coach. Let it ring. It may have to roll to a couple of stress coaches, but you're not going to get voicemail. You're going to get one of us. And so if you want to talk to me, you can hit extension 2. I'd really rather you call me on my cell phone, uh, which is 334-324-3570. David Cohen is extension three on the 855 number, which he is in Alabama. He is actually, he was a fire marshal, um, is retired from the fire service. His wife was a dispatcher and a police officer. She's also a stress coach with us. Uh, you are extension four, yes. Tom. And, and you can reach me on my cell phone too at 480-861-6574. And any of the, the other extensions other than one, you could get voicemail. But also extension one, we don't have your phone number. Yep. So if you're talking to one of us and you get disconnected, you got to call us back. We don't have your number. We do not do welfare checks because we don't even know where to send anybody. We <laughs> don't right. know where you are in the country, the world. Uh, please be aware, the suicide hotlines, that 988 or whatever that new number is, for because right. for some reason a three-digit number, y'all will call faster than a 
whatever digit number, I don't understand <laughs> that. But anyway, uh, they will send police out to do welfare checks because they do have your information. Yeah. So know who you're calling and know that we are here and, again, completely anonymous. Thank you for what you do. Families, this all applies to you, spouses, kids, parents, whoever call us because you're part of the lifestyle. Um, that's one of the things I think we, I hope we emphasize to you, Ryan, when we first found out about you. And uh, so all of you can call. We, your, your loved ones will never know you've called us. Uh, nobody will. Yeah, we won't even know who you are. <laughs> so hit us on that extension one. And uh, God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. Stay safe out there. And thank you for all the sacrifices that you make. Come back and visit us next week.